This morning we are in 1 John, verses 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Good morning. So bechir. So when I started, you know, pastors do outlines on books as you try to navigate how weeks in a series will will look. Um, sermon number two for this series was supposed to be First John one verse five through First John two verse two. And if you read through those three passages, there's a complete sermon. It's a very neatly packed sermon, almost too easy. Um, But as I continued to study and pray and write, the sermon went from 1 John 1.5 to 2.2 to the end of chapter 1. And as I continued to study and read and pray, it squeezed itself down into three verses. Um, I pray that that is not burdensome to you. It certainly is not to me. I had mentioned last week that uh, Augustine had once said that the scriptures are shallow enough for a gnat to swim in and deep enough for an elephant to drown in. And this book is certainly deep enough for a very large elephant to drown in several times. And so as we turn our attention to these Three very powerful verses. My hope is that you this morning see God as light and what that means. And then the relationship to God being light in our fellowship with him and with one another. You know, we, when we started a year and a half ago, maybe more, looking at kingdom life, we looked at that kingdom life in the context of our Lord's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And then we moved to kingdom restoration with the prophet Zechariah. And then from Zechariah, we have moved into 1 John to look at what kingdom fellowship looks like. What does it mean to have a relationship with God and a relationship with one another through Christ? What does that look like according to the scriptural parameters that God establishes for his children? And we started last week in verses 1 through 4 where Jesus starts with the incarnation. And he has to start there. Because it's the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It's God becoming a man and doing the work that he did, teaching and ministering and and then living and dying and then rising again that brings all of this into its proper context. And so he starts with the incarnation. He said last week, I saw him and I heard him and I touched him when he was alive, when he was dead and when he rose again. And so the very foundation of this entire letter is based upon the truth of who Jesus Christ is what he did, and what he will do when he comes again in glory. And so as we look at fellowship here, it's important that we see it on God's terms and not on our own. We have no right to define what biblical fellowship is with God. And we have no right to define what biblical fellowship is with one another. God sets those operating parameters. He's the one that initiates the relationship, first between us and him, and then amongst one another. And so by his grace this morning, we will hear John 
teach to us how the king in this kingdom calls us, one, into relationship with him, and two, into relationship with one another. And we'll see that, hopefully, as we look at three aspects of, this, of these three verses. One, that God is light. And two, the dangers of walking in the darkness. And then three, the blessings of walking in the light. God is light, the dangers of walking in the darkness, and the blessings of walking in the light. Let's look at God being light first. You want to talk about a heavy teaching. I mean, this, there are entire books, volumes written on this. And I'm supposed to treat it in one point in 15 or 20 minutes in a sermon? Um, it's almost foolish. But by God's grace, I will. First uh, John chapter 1, verse 5, what the apostle does is, after teaching on the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God becoming a man, living, dying, and rising from the dead, he now draws in verse... If, if our understanding of the letter is to have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another in the context of the church, if that's our, our theme throughout, then the foundation for it the thesis in your English 1A class would be verse 5, where Paul, again, lays the foundation upon all the teachings that are going to come forth, and that is God is light. In other words, he goes back to the character of who God is to establish some real difficult truth claims. And all of you who have studied the Bible even a little bit, you know First John's hard. It's a hard letter because... The, the sword that Jesus brings in, it cuts and it starts to remove all the baggage and it makes things very clear and very transparent and very raw. And so in order to do that, John has to say, I'm not going to start with some you know, uh, external metaphysical uh, foundation. I'm going to start with an axiom that is God himself. I'm going to start with a foundation that is the character of God. And so he says, God is light. Now, this is the Apostle John. The word apostle means messenger. And he comes with a message. But it's not just any message. The word here for declaration, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. He hears it from the incarnate Christ, God in the flesh. And this declaration, the word, it's, it's only used here in 1 John. It's really interesting. But it was used in other places in, in, in John's time in the Greek by kings and by royal courts. And it is a statement that would go out by kings or a royal court to the citizens of that kingdom. And so what Paul, what Paul, if I say that, I'm talking about John, all right? Sorry, they, they just kind of convolute my head. John is coming and saying, this is not a sidebar teaching. This is not a secondary teaching. I am coming to you after seeing, hearing, and touching the king. And this is what the king said. This has absolute eternal authority. And so we would be wise to listen to John because John is speaking. He's declaring on behalf of the king. And what does he say? He says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He says, God is light. Theos, phus, esting. This God is 100% light, pure, holy, majestic, glorious, just. And then he wants us to get it. And he says, in him there is no light. He repeats himself with a double negative. And the double negative in the Greek would say, and I really mean it. In him there is no darkness. He is pure light, pure light, pure light. 
It'd be an exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point for us. Now, when we hear light and darkness in Scripture, sometimes it literally means light and darkness. And oftentimes it's metaphorical. And it's used as a metaphor in both the Old and the New Testament. And it's used as a metaphor talking about the character of God in the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, David says in Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Throughout the Psalms, it's a repeated theme. Psalm 43, 3, which I read this morning. The psalmist petitions God, Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Psalm 76, 4. You, O God, are resplendent with light. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a... Light for my path, a light to my path. You memorize that in your Awana, right? God says of himself in Isaiah, Isaiah 45, he says, I form the light and I create darkness. I bring prosperity and I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. And so light is ascribed to him, not as something he does, but who he is. He is light. And in the New Testament, light and darkness, again, metaphorically used, talking about life and death and good and evil and truth and falsehood. But in the New Testament, when it pertains to God, when light is ascribed to the character of who God is, it usually plays itself in one of two ways. First, that God is morally pure, that he is a holy God, that in him there is no sin, there is no contamination, there is no darkness of any kind. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. Even the psalmist in Psalm 99.9 said, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. He is pure. And so one way to understand that God is light is in his moral perfection in his absolute holiness, without sin. Another way, and I think this is more appropriate for our text, and you'll understand why in a minute. When we talk about light in reference to God, it's talking about God revealing himself, a character of his self-revelation. And that is the very nature of light. When light is turned on in a dark room, things are revealed. You see where things are. You see the direction to go. So light brings revelation. And if we understand John here saying God is light as communicating something more than moral purity, if we understand him saying that this is God's revelation of his moral purity and his grace and his judgment and his his, uh, majesty, and his providential care and his movement in history, if we understand it to be more than just moral purity, then the application takes on a much greater weight as well. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 15, I pray you remember this. He said, do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl? He says, no, instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Light is revealing. Light reveals. And so God as light means that God is revealing. If we render light only to moral perfection and holiness, then we must render darkness only to moral evil. 
And when we do that in the context of 1 John, I understand better now why so many people struggle with it. Because if, if John says God is light, and that means just, pure, just holiness, which of course he is, then the darkness is unholiness, it's moral evil then what happens is you begin to work through 1 John and you start establishing these lists of do's and don'ts. Christian rights and Christian wrongs, right? This is how you live according to a moral code or a moral law. And certainly morality plays itself into this. But I do believe that, that the apostle is talking of something much deep, deeper than an ethical code of conduct for believers. If light as ascribed to God points to the self-revealing character of God, that God, by necessity, as light, must reveal himself. That he must, he must reveal himself to creation. Creation must see him. And creation must respond to him in worship and praise and adoration. If this teaching is an emphasis on God's whole character, then when we apply it to this concept of fellowship, it changes the letter entirely. In his gospel account, John uses this word light in reference to the incarnate Christ or the work of Christ 24 times. That's a pretty powerful metaphor, talking about the incarnate Jesus Christ. In fact, he starts off his gospel testimony with this teaching, John chapter 1, verse 6 in the gospel. He's talking about John the Baptist. And he says of John the Baptist, he came, John the Baptist came as a witness to testify concerning what? The light. So that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, that is John the Baptist, but he came only as a witness to the light, that is Jesus Christ. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Now certainly that speaks to more than moral perfection. It certainly speaks more to the just holiness. Jesus himself in John chapter 8 verse 12 said, when he was speaking to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And a little bit later, in John chapter 12, he tells his disciples, he says, are you, going, you are only going to have the light just a little bit longer. He was talking about how he was going to die and rise and ascend to heaven. And therefore, he says, walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. So the light that God is talk, that, that John's talking about here is more than moral purity. It's more than just the holiness of God. The light that he's talking about goes back to verses 1, 2, and 3. The light is the incarnate Christ. It is the person, the second person of the holy triune God revealed in the flesh. It's all of him. The Apostle Paul confirms this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 this greater understanding of light when he said that God the Father was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. Not just his holiness, not just his purity, but his majesty and his glory and his mercy and when he comes again, his judgment. The fullness of God dwelt in Christ who is light. All abiding in him and revealed to us when he came as a man. So God, John says God is light based upon the total revelation 
that God gave in the one that he saw, in the one that he heard, and in the one that he touched. Holiness, absolutely. Moral perfection, absolutely. But so much more. Certainly, if God is revealing himself, his light, he is light, and therefore it's necessary that he reveals himself. It's impossible to hide the light. It will be more than just moral purity. Now, this is glorious news, and it's problematic at the exact same time. Why is it glorious? It's glorious because ever since we were cast out of the garden because of our rebellion and sin against God, we have lived in darkness. We've lived in darkness. But then what does John say? The light has come. Jesus Christ, who is the light, has come to earth. And Paul tells us in Colossians 1.26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations is now disclosed to the saints. The mystery is the light. The light is Christ. And so, for us, living in the darkness, this is, this is good news. The light has come. The light has come to reveal himself to us. But it's problematic as well. Because we know that we are not children of light. Jesus, when he was speaking in John chapter 3, says the verdict is in. Light has come, speaking of himself, light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Now, if this is true, if we love darkness instead of the light, how are we supposed to hear this as good news? Because if the light has come and I love the darkness, then that light is going to judge me. That light will rightly condemn me. How am I to hear this in any way other than I am doomed. Let's look at point number two, the danger of walking in the darkness. After declaring the character of God as being pure light, as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, where there is no darkness, darkness, he establishes the foundation upon which now he will speak. And he draws some very difficult conclusions. And this is just the beginning in 1 John. He gives us teachings that we are able to take and look at in the context of our own lives and say, all right, am I? Who am I in God? Am I walking this walk in God? Am I playing a game or is it real? And so look at verse 6. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, with God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. And John begins to teach to one of the oldest and most deceptive lies in all of human history. Certainly the oldest and most deceptive lie in the history of the church. And that is claiming to know God. Claiming to be a child of God. Claiming to be saved by God through Christ and yet not really knowing him. Because in the eyes of God, the Holy Creator, if you do not know Him, then you're still dead in your transgressions and your sins. Believing that you're on the inside of that fellowship and you're part of that fellowship, all along, you're still walking in the darkness. In other words, your life does not match His will, His desires, His submission to His laws. Obedience to His Son, obedience to the Son's Word. Now, in the time that John was writing, there were people, Gnostics certainly, but others as well, who were permeating a lie like this. And they were saying, it doesn't matter how you live. 
It doesn't matter what your life looks like. It doesn't matter if you, if you submit to the law of God or you don't submit to the law of God. They said all that matters is that you know that God is real. So they argued for an intellectual assent that was devoid of any practical daily life application. Now that's, that's a wonderful heresy. All I have to do is think and believe in my head. But I don't have to change. I don't have to be transformed. I don't have to submit. I can read the law and as long as I understand the law, then I'm okay. Is it any wonder people love that heresy? That I can continue in the life? That I continued in before Christ? I can continue in the darkness and there are no ramifications. There's a timeless nature to this heresy. I mean, it goes all the way back to the garden. And John's dealing with it in the first century. And it's full-blown here today in the church, is it not? I mean, how many today profess Christ? How many in the church today, they, they believe that the God of the Bible is real? They believe that Jesus Christ is his son. They will say with their mouth in an open confession that they believe that he came, that he lived a sinless life, that he died for sinners, that he was buried, that he rose again, and that he ascended to heaven. And they even believe that he's going to come again in glory. And these are all truthful beliefs, cognitive beliefs. And I imagine if we hooked them up to a lie detector, they would pass because they believe it to be true. And yet they still walk in the darkness. How many will agree and say, Amen, 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 and then still walk in darkness? If they do, according to 1 John, they have no fellowship with the, with the Father. And if they have no fellowship with the Father, that means that they, they don't really know Him. I mean, there's a difference between knowing and knowing, right? Yeah, I mean, you've done this with people. They say, oh, I know, I know, I know Steve, I know him. Yeah, but do you really know him? No, not really. I know of him. I know, do you know him? To say you know someone scripturally was to know them. They know you, you know them inside. You know how they live, you know how they think. Not perfectly, but you know. It's, it's used in a term in scripture to... to uh, um, uh, quantify the knowledge of a husband and a wife. They knew each other intimately. And so, John's making a categorical distinction between knowing about God and knowing God. And he's saying, you can know about God your entire life. You can be raised in the church. You can be a pastor's kid. And you can have the Bible read to you your whole life. And you can answer every question perfectly. And you can be baptized and you can teach a Bible study. I mean, you can go your whole life and not know God. James said in James chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, a couple of verses that many in the history of the church, including Martin Luther, struggled with. James said, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? He says, good, even the demons believe that and they shudder. James is saying, it's no big deal to believe in God. In fact, if we believe what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, everybody believes in God. That's no big deal. Believing in God and knowing who he is through his son, Jesus Christ, and then submitting to his ways and walking in the light instead of the darkness, that's an entirely different thing. Alexander McLaren wrote this in his commentary. It was pointed. 
He said, worship is always aspiration after and conformity to the character of the God you worship. And there can be no true communion with a God who is light unless the worshiper walks in light. In plain language, he writes, all high-flying pretensions to commune with God must verify themselves by practical righteousness, daily living, habitual life, day in, day out. The small things, he's saying, really matter. The whole of one's manner of life lived in the power and presence of Jesus Christ is walking in the light. Now this is not sinless perfection and many have stumbled in 1 John because they have a He's not talking about sinless perfection. He's talking about walking daily in the light of Christ, who Christ is, who Christ revealed himself to be, the teachings and commands that Christ gave us, walking in the power that Christ gives us. So if you think this is a teaching to be perfect, then you're missing what John is saying. Paul said in Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Worthy of the calling. So if our understanding of light is only moral purity and therefore darkness only moral impurity, then the emphasis here becomes ethical rather than relational. It becomes do's and don'ts rather than transformation of heart and mind inside out. It becomes a a Christian list of morality rather than a, a holistic approach toward daily life. If God is light and that is his revealing himself to mankind most perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ, then to walk in darkness is not to simply violate a moral law. To walk in darkness is to discard Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To walk in darkness is not to see him as the God-man, to hear him as the Savior. It's to, it's to not listen to his teachings and submit to his calling. To walk in darkness is to live a daily life without reference to Christ. Without reference to his teachings and his will and his mission and his gospel. How easy that is to do today. How easy it is to get caught in that cultural movement of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We just go. Walking in the darkness, according to the Apostle John, who saw, heard, and touched Jesus Christ, means that you have no fellowship with God the Father. Now that is a brutal statement. If you profess Christ, if you go to church, if you've been baptized, whatever you do religiously, if you still walk in the darkness, John is saying you have no fellowship with the Father. That's akin to saying you're still not saved. You are unredeemed. Your heart is still dead. You're still dead in your sins and transgressions. That's what he's saying. Again, if you don't like that, please take it up with God and the Holy Spirit through the word. 
In other words, this teaching of walking in the light as opposed to the darkness goes way beyond moral failures. It goes to the very heart of mankind. It goes beyond the list of Christian do's and don'ts. It goes to your daily walk in Christ. Your daily submission to Christ. His voice. His word. The Pharisees, interestingly enough, different than the Gnostics who were saying, it doesn't matter how you live as long as you believe, as long as you believe that God is real. The Pharisees that John also did battle with, they took uh, an extreme approach to the other end. They, they were striving to live according to God's laws and hundreds of other laws they created for themselves so that they could, in their submission to the law, make themselves righteous. And so they took on a whole different form of self-salvation, not one of forgetting about the law, but trying to fulfill it by their own power and their own strength. And they too walked in darkness. They had no fellowship with God. Jesus said to them in John chapter 5, he said, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. And then he says, These are the scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me and have life. And so this cataclysmic lie that has that came into being in the very beginning, that has permeated the life of Israel and the life of the church for every century. This lie makes its way out in both religion and irreligion. This lie that you can know God and not know God, that you can believe in God or submit to a moral law and have fellowship with Him can look quite different in how it works out in our daily lives. The darkness of cheap grace. Someone makes a profession, they get baptized, and then they say, it doesn't matter how I live. I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, right? I, I profess in my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised from the dead. I got baptized. You said I had to get baptized, so I got baptized. And I even received communion, so now I am in. I've eaten, I've eaten the crackers that represent the body, and I've, I've had a little bit of the juice that represents the blood, and I'm in. And then they disregard a life in submission to God. Irreligion. Darkness. The Pharisees went the other way and they said, we will do everything perfectly by our power. We'll get baptized ten times if we have to. We'll take communion five times a day if we have to. And they believed by their own strength and their own morality they would be saved, but they too were walking in the darkness just from a religious perspective. It's becoming super moral now what's amazing is that both postures of life, religion and irreligion, the Gnostics and the Pharisees, were both, they had a common unity in that they were both still in the darkness. They were not walking in the light of Christ. They did not have fellowship with God. And therefore they were still dead. John says again in verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. The consequences here are brutal. It says first that we lie. What are we lying about? 
What are we lying about? If we walk in the darkness and we claim God through Christ, John's saying you're a liar. What are we lying about? We're claiming that we have fellowship with God when in reality we don't. We're claiming that we have the saving grace of Christ in our life when in reality we don't. We're claiming that we know someone when we really don't. And we've made this mistake too, right? Where you said you know someone and you're called on it. Well, oh yeah, I know that person. I, I can put you in touch with them. And then they try and you, you can't. Why? Because you don't know them. It was a lie. John's saying here, if you walk in the darkness but you claim God, you're a liar. Because that relationship's not real. And listen, our sin is powerful enough to convolute our thinking. We can believe it's real even though it's not. We can say to ourselves, I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm a citizen of the kingdom. I belong to him. We can say all these things and they not be true. And I think we can fool each other pretty well too. I think we're pretty good at fooling each other. The tragedy is we will not fool God. In Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Translate another way, only those who walk in the light. If you are doing the will of the Father who is in heaven, you are walking in the light. He continues, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? These were highly religious people. They were doing many things, many more things than many in the church today. They were prophesying in the name of God. They were casting out demons. And then Jesus says, I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. Continue in the darkness. Jesus, I, I never knew you. I know you claimed my name. I know you went to church. I know you taught a Bible study. I know you gave of your time and your money and your energies. But I never knew you because you never knew me. You continued in the darkness. You made a false profession and you lived a lie. The same apostle who wrote this letter wrote in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8 that all liars will find their place in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That is the second death. You do not want to be identified by the holy God as an eternal liar. But then he says, walking in the darkness but claiming fellowship with God means that our entire lives are a lie. Look, he says, we lie and do not live by the truth. The ESV renders it, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, it's not just that we're lying with our mouth saying that we know God and we really don't. He's saying, your whole life's a lie. You don't practice the truth. I love, I love that in the ESV, the a practice is what do you do on a daily basis? A habitual existence, day in, day out. What does that look like? Because that's the means that we measure whether or not we're in the darkness or the light. It's not coming to church on Sunday or Wednesday or a Bible study. It's what do you do normally in the day? How do you live? How do you think? How do you speak? How do you relate? Is it in the light of Christ or in the darkness of the fallen heart?
We lie and do not practice the truth. And you may say, what's truth? You may be like Pontius Pilate, said it to Christ himself. What's truth? What's truth? And again, the answer to understanding truth is not philosophical. It's not moral. It's not empirical. It is a person. Just like light is Christ. Jesus said, I am the light of the world in John 8, 12. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth. He claims truth. And that means the only way that we can live in the light is to have Christ because he is truth. Any hope we have of living daily in the light of God is found in the truth of Jesus Christ. How he lived, by the power in which he lived. Christ lived every moment of every day in fellowship with the Father. Every moment of every day, our Lord spoke words that were glorifying to God. Every moment of every day for his entire existence, he related to people in a manner that brought God the most honor and glory. Every moment of every day, sinless perfection, absolute holiness. And you say, I can't do that. You cannot be perfect yet. But you can certainly walk in the power and the light of Christ. In the West, when we talk about truth, it's often in the context of doctrine or circumstance or law. Here, it's a way of life. Here, it's a disposition of the heart. It's how you live, either in Christ or not in Christ. Say, give me a practical question. Is your day shaped by him? Is your day, are your days shaped by him? By who he is, by what he did, by what he says? Are your days molded by his teachings? Are they guided by his spirit? Are they in submission to his will? Are your desires his desires? Not perfectly, but are you striving to that end? Is the living God your fountain? Is he your daily bread? Do you find yourself being sustained by him and in him? To claim to have fellowship with God and yet to walk in the darkness is to continue in the darkness and the end is destruction. The end is the outer darkness. It is hell. It is condemnation. It is eternal judgment. It is wrath. It is fire. It's no fellowship with God. And that is what we long for most, even if we don't know that now. It's to, as we, the last song, it's to dwell with him in his presence, in his temple, with him. And that's why Paul says to us in Colossians 3, to put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. He says, put it to death. Kill it. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, he says, the wrath of God is coming. And he said, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. What? In the darkness. We all used to walk in the darkness. But then he says, but you, you now must rid yourself of all these things. The anger, the rage, the malice, the slander, the filthy language from your lips. Stop walking in the darkness. He says, instead, walk in the light of Christ. 
You want to have fellowship with God? You want to know who God really is? You want to know the saving grace of Christ? He says, walk in the light. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. Mortify the sins. Mortify the evil desires. Walk in the light. Paul said in Ephesians 5, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The days are evil, my beloved, and the deception is great, even amongst the saints. It should grieve us that one of the greatest mission fields today is the church. It should grieve us that on this very Sunday, there are literally millions of people sitting in churches across this country and throughout the world that proclaim and declare Christ and yet walk in the darkness. A simple rendering of this text tells us that their end is catastrophic. A double life. And I believe that many believe they have fellowship with God and they will stand before him and they will be shocked when he says, I never knew you. And they'll lay out that list. We cast out demons. We made prophecies in your name. We did many miracles in your name. We went to church. We read our Bibles. We gave, we, 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 I, I, I. And he'll say, I know. It's not that he doesn't know that we do these things. But he's gonna say, but you never knew me. You never knew the truth who is Christ. You never knew the light, who is Christ. You never knew the life, who is Christ. You never knew the resurrection, who is Christ. Be very careful then, those who profess Christ and how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, for the days are evil. So if God is light, and we, by our very nature, love the darkness. Where is there any hope in this message? This would be a catastrophic place to leave you, wouldn't it? It's a, okay. What do I do with that? God is light, as revealed in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The fullness of the God had dwelt in him, and we love darkness. That means we scatter. You turn the light on, we're like cockroaches, right? We just, we run from the light. Where is there hope in this? How can anyone walk in the light? Number three, the blessings of walking in the light. First, we must know that any command that God gives us in the entire Bible, he will equip us to faithfully live out. He never gives a command and says, oh, but you'll never be able to do that. Right? He's a good father. And so he gives us the command. And then he equips us to obey the command. He not only teaches us and gives us understanding, but he gives us power and the desire to fulfill it. And so he's saying to us right now, those said saints of God, he's saying, walk in the light. How's that happen? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 that we all start in the darkness. Every single one of us. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. He says that we have all turned away, we have all together become worthless. And then he describes the path of darkness. Listen to this. 
This is verse 15. He says, our feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark our way. And the way of peace we do not know. There is no fear of God before our eyes. That is a dark path. We all start there. Every single person in all of human history starts on the path of darkness. Not having fellowship with the Father. Not having sweet communion with God. Not dwelling in His presence and worshiping and glorifying Him as we were created. But at enmity with God. Hatred for God. As Paul writes in Ephesians 2, he says, We were by nature objects of wrath. But... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. And then he said, it is by grace you have been saved. And God God raised us up with Christ and seated us, past tense, with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. In other words, even though we were children of wrath, even though we all started on this path of darkness... And, and we would end in that path of darkness, in eternal darkness. God, out of his love for us and his desire to glorify himself, sent his son to come and die on the cross. And in so doing, get us off that path. By Christ going to the cross and dying for our sins, by him taking the full wrath of our just desert, a life of complete rebellion and disobedience and hatred, a path of darkness against the holy God, by him doing that... He takes us off the path of darkness and he puts us on the path of light. He takes away the punishment. He takes away the sin and he gives to us. He gives to us his righteousness. And that's why Paul can say God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm already. His sacrificial death opened up the way for those in the path of darkness to be put on the path of light. And that means that the light of the world, Jesus Christ himself, had to endure utter and outer darkness. It means that Jesus Christ, who is the truth, had to be utterly destroyed physically and spiritually by our lies. But the result of this is fantastic. The result of this for you and for me and for all who repent and believe are saved by his grace is life. It's truth. It's light. It's his light. It means we've been set free from the darkness of sin and death and hell. And we've been brought into the light of Christ by the grace of God. It means, it means we can dwell with God again. It means that we can have fellowship with God again. The creator of the universe. We, fallen, wretched, dark people can have a sweet, intimate communion with the creator again. Because of the work of Christ. That's worth one amen, one hallelujah. Fellowship with the creator of the universe. Now, if you have fellowship with the Father because of the great work of Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ did in fact take the sins that you joyfully exercised, and the punishment that you rightly deserved for joyfully exercising those sins. And he took all that upon himself, and instead he gave you his righteousness, his holiness, his love. If you then now know the Father, 
that means you too have power from on high. Where do I get that? At the end of the gospel, in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, our parting words from the Savior to his disciples, to you and me today, in the gospel according to Luke, he said this, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. And he says, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. That's the Holy Spirit. He said, I've done this work that I might ascend to my Father's right hand and then I will send the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. I will send Him and He will come and He will dwell in you and He will empower you. Empower you to do what? To walk in the light. To be a holy people. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength because apart from Him we cannot. Apart from the saving grace of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are still in darkness. But in Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, then you can walk daily in the light of Christ. You can. Enough, I can't. It's a lie. If you know Christ, I mean, you know him, not just about him, you know him. If he has saved you, if you have confessed your sins faithfully, and he has redeemed you and made you alive and the Holy Spirit dwells within you, then you can. And if you say you can't, you're a liar still. The Bible says that in Christ you can do all things through him because he gives you the strength. He gives you the power. John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Do you believe that? Those are two amazing promises. Two. First, he says, you'll have the promise of fellowshipping with one another. Not a single commentary did not say, hmm, why didn't it say, if we walk in the light as he is in light, we will have fellowship with God? Every commentator said, this is an abrupt departure because if you're moving through the argument, you say, if, I, if I'm walking in the darkness, I have no fellowship with the Father. Therefore, if I walk in the light, I have fellowship with the Father. And he says, if you walk in the light, you have fellowship with one another. And he goes, what? Is this a textual error? No. All the extent manuscripts say the same thing. How do we understand this? George Barrett writes, the communion of saints is an unmistakable proof that the saints themselves are in communion with God. And on the other hand, the interruption of our personal fellowship with God, listen closely, saints, dryness and barrenness in prayer, loss of all joy in worship or in praise, are due far more often than we are apt to believe to a breach in our fellowship with one another. They are linked John Wesley said it best, the Bible knows nothing of a solitary religion. Nothing of a solitary religion. John is asserting emphatically that those who have fellowship with God, who are walking in the light, will have fellowship with one another. It is one of the first conditions. It is one of the first tests 
as to whether or not the Spirit of God resides in you. Fellowship with believers. The reverse is equally true and I think so much more difficult for the church in the West. There is no real fellowship with God that is not expressed in real fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. If you claim fellowship with God the Father and have no real fellowship with those he has saved by grace through the blood of his Son, minimally, you cannot know you have fellowship with the Father. Arguably, according to this passage and many others, you might say you do not know him at all, that you are equally deceived and still walking in the darkness. Under the old covenant, this is providential, by the way, in my fellowshipping with a young man in this church and our dialoguing with scripture, this is his piece to the sermon. Praise God for that. Under the old covenant, when the spirit of the living God dwelt in the tabernacle and the temple, those who were worshipers of God, those who said they loved God, those who said they had fellowship with the living God, would travel minimally three times a year for the three annual feasts up to the temple. And they would commune with the living God because that's where he was dwelling. And if you did not go up to the temple, then you were identified as a non-believer. It's very simple. Under the new covenant, the Bible tells us that God now dwells in the redeemed, in the saints, in the church, not physical church, but in the body of Christ. This is where he now dwells. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Now, you know what that means. That means that the living God dwells in his people then this is where we meet him with his people. And so if you say, I love God, but I can't stand those that call themselves Christians. If you say, I have an intimate fellowship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, but I don't know a single person and I have no desire to know anybody in the body of Christ, there's something cataclysmically wrong with your understanding of the fellowship of the Father. It would be akin to you being an Old Testament Jew saying, I'm not going up to the temple. I'm not going to worship like that, even though God prescribed it. I know that's where he's dwelling. I know he's in the holiest of holies. I know on the day of Yom Kippur he's coming down, but I'm not going. We must conclude. We must, and this is what John is saying, that if you have no real fellowship with the saints of God, if you have no real intimacy with those who identify themselves as Christians, especially in the context of a local church, then at best, your relationship with God is suspect. Worst, you don't know him at all. You're still in the darkness. And every single commentary said the same thing. They said, that's why he says, you'll have fellowship with one another. It's the litmus test, right? How do I know? One of the ways we know is that our, we have relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. We're growing together, sojourning together, working together, serving together, crying together, laughing together, life together. 
If you came to me and you said to me, crude example, but I think it works as well. I, I, I love you, Keith. I want to have an intimate relationship with you. I want to have fellowship with you, but I hate your kids. I mean, I hate your kids. I don't want to be around your kids. I don't want to see your kids. I don't want to know your kids. That's going to be a tough relationship for me. I mean, it is. It's going to be hard. I invite you over to my house, and you say, are your kids there? Yeah. No, 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 no. Can we meet for coffee? If you say you love God and have fellowship with God, but you, you don't want to be around his children, and it's not that overt. I mean, most Christians don't go, go around saying, I hate Christians. But we say it with our lives. Right? If, if, if my, the extent of my relationships with other believers is an hour and a half on Sunday morning saying, hello, goodbye, and the goodbye's fast, because I can't get out that door fast enough, there's something wrong. If our relationships with brothers and sisters are really only acquaintances, if we only know people but we don't really know people, then there's no real fellowship. So John says here, if we walk in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another. And if you don't have fellowship with one another, you're probably still walking in the darkness. There's a last thing here, and we'll close on this. He says, those who walk in the light have the blood of Jesus, his son, to purify us from all sin. Those who walk in the light have fellowship with the Father, they have fellowship with the saints, and Jesus' blood, this is the blood that was shed on the cross, his blood has the power to purify you daily. In other words, this promise is for daily purification. I want the word walk here in this sentence and the word purify are in the present tense. That means walking is daily walking, happening right now. That means purification is daily purifying, happening right now. And the thought then is this, the blood of Jesus, which is applied to our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, removes sin's defilement daily and works out in us a progressive sanctification by the blood of Christ. It's such a wonderful description of God making us holy. It's such a a great encouragement to know that every single day, even though I fight and I struggle, my flesh against my spirit, that God is faithful in the blood of Christ to purify me daily. If what? If I walk in the light. There's no purification daily if you persist in the darkness. And there can't be. There can't be. The power of the blood of Christ is sufficient to purify every sin, past, present, and future, but we must walk in the light. The the power of the blood of Christ is sufficient to not only forgive you through his sacrifice on the cross, but to purify you, to make you holy, to impart to you his righteousness. It has all that power and infinitely more, and we'll contemplate that for all eternity. But it requires, listen, saints, it requires active participation on your behalf. It requires your daily walking in the light of Christ. How come? Walking in the light of Christ does not mean that you never sin. 
I want to emphasize that. And I'll say it again so we don't leave sideways. Walking in the light of Christ does not mean that you never sin. And we'll talk about that actually next week. Walking in the light of Christ means you do not hide from God in your sin. Walking in the light of Christ says, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm going to walk in your light so you'll show me my sins. You say, well, why would I ever do that? That's like committing the crime and going to the police saying, please arrest me. Not at all. It's saying, I know I'm a criminal. Coming into the presence of God and saying, purify me. Take it away. Make me holy. Walking in the light of Christ means we will not hide from God, which means we will seek his face daily in the word. The best way to not hide from God is to hear his voice every day. And that's not through voices that you ought not be hearing. It's through his holy word. Walking in the light of Christ is spending time in prayer through the word. Walking in the light of Christ is having real relationships with real Christians. Not just said believers, but people who are in and they're in your life and they're in your community. It's walking the light is having people that are around you who will encourage you and will edify you and will teach you. It's people that will come alongside of you and hold you accountable and they will help you see the sin, not to condemn you and not to judge you, but to bring you before Christ who will cleanse you and purify you. What a great joy. We should be running to people saying, I need you in my life. You need to come into my life. I want to be in your life. Teach me, encourage me, lift me up, hold me accountable, especially when I sin because I need to see it because I don't see it. And then I can go to Christ and I can bring him my sins and he'll forgive me and he'll purify me and that's what I want and I want that for you too. That's not our movement. We run into the darkness and we hide. We put away our Bibles and we hide. We neglect prayer to hide. We neglect each other to hide. When we live in the light, that means we're living as Christ lived. It means we're living by his power. As you live each day in the light of Christ, you will see more sin, not less. Right? As you approach the unapproachable light, as you draw closer to God, it's one of the great paradoxes of the faith. As you grow in your faith, God's holiness will be increased and your sin will be increased. You'll see it, right? Because you're coming into the light. And the glorious news, as John says here, if you walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, will purify you from all sin. And so we should long for the light. We should long for his word. We should long for prayer. We should long to serve. We should long for community. We should long for it. Because that brings forgiveness, and it brings purification, and it brings holiness. If you walk in the light, you'll know God. And you'll know this promise. You'll be able to take your unholiness and your pride and your fear and your darkness and 
expose it in him. And in so doing, we'll see this next week, he says in verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I remember the first time I read that, I thought that is fantastic. (laughs) That, that is so hopeful that every day if I walk in the light, I can come into his presence. He will show me my sin. You'll show me my sin. The word will speak to me my sin and I don't have to carry it. I don't have to hold on to it. It doesn't have to hold me. I can bring it before Christ. And he is faithful and just. And he will not only forgive me, he will not only say to me, Keith, I forgive you of that, but he will take it away from me and he will purify me and he'll give me his righteousness. As he will you. If we walk in the light. So this is the hope that we have in walking in the light. What is it? It's the hope of having fellowship with the Father. It's the hope of having fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, the body of Christ, his church. It's the hope of daily coming into the presence of God and having him see our sins, forgive us of our sins, and make us holy. What great hope! And all three, fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the saints, purification of your soul, all three bring him honor and glory, which is what we were made for. And so your three closing application questions. You ready? If you claim fellowship with God. Better put. If you claim that you're saved. If you claim that you know God the Father through his son Jesus Christ. If you believe that you know him that you know Christ, question number one, are you walking in the light? Not are you morally perfect, but are you walking in the light? Is Christ your Lord and Savior? Are you pursuing him by his power and his strength? Are you hearing his voice through the word of God, through the Bible? Are you submitting to it? Do you desire to submit to it? Are you striving to this end? Are you growing in understanding and wisdom that you might walk in the light? That's question number one. These are not, I don't know. If you don't know, it's not a good answer. These are walking in the light or walking in the darkness. Number two. Do you have real biblical fellowship with members of the body of Christ? And you can ask yourself, do you have real biblical fellowship in the context of this local body of Christ if you're a member here. Do you? That means more than just knowing people. It means knowing people intimately. Knowing their homes. Knowing that, you know, they don't, they don't like spicy food. It means knowing that when they have a cup of coffee, they don't want cream and sugar. It, it means knowing, you know, that their heart still breaks over people in their lives that are lost. It means knowing them. It means hearing them and walking with them. That's real fellowship. And I said this uh, last week, I believe. That doesn't happen here right now. It happens 
outside of this building. It happens on a daily basis with one another. So one, are you walking in the light? Two, do you have those relationships? And then three, are you being cleansed daily? Are you in the word? Are you in prayer? Are you, are you being cleansed daily? Or do you experience the forgiveness and purification that comes from the fountain of life? John is providing for us a litmus test, a spiritual test for self-evaluation. You may say, yes, I am walking in the light. Yes, I have fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, I receive daily forgiveness and purification in Christ. Yes, 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 praise God. And it's a praise God, because that's his mighty work in you. You may say, there was a time, Pastor, when that was my life, but now it's been hard recently. I don't see myself walking light. I see myself being drawn by the darkness. I see my relationships fractured. I don't experience purification daily through confession and repentance and turning. Then today, turn back to the light. Today, don't wait another minute. Come back into the light of Christ. That you might have fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit and with His children and be purified. If you're in that last group where you said, you know what? I thought I knew God, but in listening to your sermon, I know I don't know God. This is still a radically hopeful message. Because if the Apostle John were here right now, he would say to you, repent and believe and put your faith in the Son. He would praise God that you're here this morning. And he would praise God that you heard him through the Holy Spirit say to you, to know about God is not knowing God. Repent, believe, and put your trust and hope in the Savior. This hard message is complete hope for the saved walking faithfully, for the saved who are struggling, and for the unsaved. He's saying, walk in the light. Pursue Christ. Know the saving grace that comes from the blood. This has been my prayer for you all week. I will continue to pray to that end, that you and I, that we as a church, walk faithfully in the light of Christ. That we might have fellowship with the Father, that we might have real fellowship with one another, and that we might enjoy the purification daily of the sins that still wage war against our souls. Join me in that prayer, will you? Let's pray. Father, I know that the father of lies desires us to hear a message like this and want to give up. The father of lies wants us to hear a message like this and say it's not possible or it's not important. And yet you, you are 
light. You have revealed yourself in your son, Jesus Christ, and then you equip us and you call us to walk in his light. We cannot do this on our own. We won't even desire to do this on our own. We ask this morning, Lord, that for those of us who lack the desire that you would feed that. For those of us who are afraid that you would cast out the fear. For those of us who are still moving in the darkness and rebellion, that you would crush that rebellion. Bring us into that light, Lord. Cast our eyes upon your son who is pure light so that we, by your power, will become a holy people. I pray that you would do that great work here so that this world, which is steeped in darkness, will see the light of Christ here in our lives and as a result, repent and believe and follow you as well. I praise you for the honesty of this message, for the difficulty of it, I pray that by your grace and mercy, Lord, you would apply it to each and every one of our lives so that we might have fellowship with you and fellowship with one another and know the beauty and cleansing power of the blood of your son. I pray these things in his holy name, amen.